Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. We're still doing good with these intersections, I think. Yeah. Real been- proud of them. Yeah, oh yeah. Occasionally they come to me as I'm writing our synopsis to put on Apple Podcasts uh-huh. or our streaming mm-hmm. places. But we're still finding them, so that's oh, good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Some of them I never think of again, and then the other ones I'll be like washing my hair and be like, huh. Oh, that was that a good one. been really brilliant to say, <laughs> and I didn't. Yeah. Um, I had that exact thought about synesthesia and childbirth, because mm-hmm. you and I were sitting here like racking our brains trying to figure out an intersection, and finally we we're just like, there isn't one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then I remembered in synesthesia, we talk about like you made this amazing comment about how cool it would be to be able to experience other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And if people um, who are not birthing children mm-hmm. could experience what it's like to birth children, I mm-hmm. wonder how birthing practices would change. Oh, yes. Um, so that was a little link up there. Oh, yeah. And and. Women's health, just in general. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And laws and policies. Like, uh-huh. if, you know, you could actually experience what it's like, mm-hmm. not just, you know, for five minutes, but really have the experience, I bet people would stay out of other people's uteruses. <laughs> I bet you you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also wanted to see, did you watch Steve from Blue's Clues? Uh, just put out like a little PSA for the 25th anniversary. And he like did a little shout out to all the millennials. Oh my goodness. I've never felt more seen. I may have teared up. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of, I had this like reaction. He, I forgot how much of a, of an effect Mm -hmm. he had on, you know, not only just like my childhood, but I don't know. He was speaking directly to you and he was doing just that in this 25th anniversary little YouTube video. Yeah. And he was like, I'm so glad we're still friends. Yes, Steve. Steve, I never forgot you. Uh, He never forgot you either. Mm -hmm. You know who I miss? Who? Face. Hi there. Face here. Do you remember him? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Memory unlocked. I have not thought about face Uh in literal years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Different colors. Yeah. What was the girl who had the um the clock? She was the clock. Oh, oh, oh! Um, big comfy couch. Big comfy couch. Big comfy couch. I was just watching something about that. I don't remember her name right now. It'll come to me in a second. But um, they were saying that that was a good show for non-native English speakers because they use a lot of pictures and words rather uh-huh. than like A is for Apple, like Sesame Street, which is good for. Um, you know, young people acquiring or developing the letter skills. Mm-hmm. But this is good for people who already have a language background. And it's also good for neurodivergent people. Huh. So that's why people with ADHD may, or other neurodivergent experiences uh, may have really enjoyed. I sure did. The big comfy couch. I sure did. Yeah. Um, when we were kids, we had this old couch. My mom had like recovered it three or four times. And finally, we decided to buy a new couch. And my mom made all four of us go to the store together Uh to sit on the couch at the same time to make sure that all four of us could fit. That's smart. And we ended up getting a big red comfy couch. And (gasps) that's why we all, everyone in my family now has a red comfy couch. Yeah, you have two. I do have two. I am very committed to the red comfy couch. It's a a lifestyle. Yeah. Wow. But it's because of that show. Lynette. No, Lunette was the cat, was the uh, The doll. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't remember her she name, She was a though. tiny person. Molly? She was not a puppet. No, she was a doll. She was a doll? Wasn't she? Did I just say she was a puppet and then said she wasn't a puppet? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever she was. It was a great show. <laughs> oh, and the Angry Beavers, too, was like a big... Remember that? Uh, vaguely. You know the one I really enjoyed the most, I think, was Wild Thornberries. Oh, yeah. I was obsessed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of crop tops. Everyone was gay. Pretty Everyone convinced. Everyone was gay? 
and that I mean the big sister was wearing the crop tops all the time. You mean the the flannel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everyone was queer coded in that show. I think <laughs> the British monkey. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what was his name? Darwin. I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, what a walk down memory lane. I mean, we're all shaped, you know, by these early shows. Yeah. And you can also, like, we did not have cable for a long time when I was growing up. So the only TV I watched was like PBS, which um, was on a free channel. Mm -hmm. Um, So most of the shows that I grew up watching were PBS shows like uh, Zaboomafu. Oh, Zaboomafu. Big fan. Right. Love the lemur. <laughs> but there's like this group of people who grew up only watching like Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. Yeah. And then those who grew up with like public broadcasting. Was Out of the Box a PBS show? I think it was. Yeah. Okay. I, that song, the ending song for Out of the Box, mm-hmm. um, randomly gets stuck in my head for weeks at a time. So long. <laughs> I'm not, I can't sing, but. Do you know how much I love that song? <laughs> Oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that in forever. <laughs> I just want to like, you know, a little soft, like a box to just kind of... Yep, they're on TikTok, on. Uh, <gasps> the Out of the Box guys, they and they are. sing the So Long Farewell song. I'll send it to you. Please Because it's really nostalgic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I love them. Wow, I haven't thought about that in a minute. I know. Oh, this was fun. <laughs> we should do a whole episode just reminiscing about TV shows. I feel healed. I also, am. like, realizing that, like, uh, ch- like voice actors are in other things as mm-hmm. adults. Um, or, like, hearing them again. Yeah. It's interesting because then you just, like, try to place them. Um, oh, I love cartoons. I know. We had some really good cartoons. I feel like some of the more... Uh, current cartoons have lost their quality mm-hmm. like the market saturated with child tv programming mm-hmm. um so the quality's gone down a mm-hmm. little bit it's just not quite the same right yeah Ooh. i legends of the hidden temple oh my goodness what was Loved that on? that one was that on Dick- was, nickelodeon i have no idea it was like survivor for kids yeah super appropriative Super, oh, for sure. But I definitely wanted a t-shirt. <laughs> for sure. I wanted yeah. to be on the gray team. I think I like the blue team. The blue team? Yeah. It's a good choice. Thank you. But they're like, it's all about direction following. Mm-hmm. They're like, you go, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go through, go across the pond, and then you're going to, you know, go into this room. They tell you where to and, go. And, and you've then gotta, you like, just don't listen. Solve problems. Like, yeah. you know, you got to figure out which of these three things opens the thing. Mm-hmm. No wonder we all love escape rooms. We all love Legends of the Hidden Temple. I don't like escape rooms, remember? Because I don't want to be kidnapped. I don't want to pay to be kidnapped. Oh, I love a good escape room. Mm-mm. There are escape room board games that I think are a lot of fun, too. <laughs> it's like the episode of um, Schitt's Creek. At the like, It's like the last season when he's just like trying to get through the escape room to get his phone back. Oh, uh-huh. When he's trying to you know hear back about the deal or whatever. Um, that would be me. I'd be like, we got to go. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Yeah. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Speaking of items, should we talk about some psychology and history? <laughs> Your transitions are always great. Flawless. Let's do it. Um, oh, here's a fun transition. Okay. My topic for today is also a throwback. Oh, is it? Sort of. Not to anything that we've talked about, but to Greek mythology, which I also loved as a kid. Oh, yeah. So... Um, this is a Patreon pick. Yes, it is. Shout out to Bailey Schaefer. Bailey. Hey, Thank Bailey. Thank you so much for this uh, recommendation and for your incredible unboxing video. Oh, for sure. The pasta like, recipe. So yes. good. Yes. It made me so happy. Mm-hmm. Like, you called me immediately when you saw it and mm-hmm. was like, you have to watch this right now. Stop what you're doing. We, I watched it three times in a row. <laughs> I just loved it so much. Yeah, it's really good. It's on our Instagram. Yeah, go check it out. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Bailey. Mm-hmm. So Bailey asked that we talk about the Oedipus Complex. Oh, that's right. A little I thing you may that have was heard today. of. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um. So the Oedipus Complex is based on the story of Oedipus Rex, which was written by Sophocles. And he wrote it for performances at the city Dionysa, 
which is a festival in Athens that honored the god Dionysus. Mm-hmm. Okay? In the original Greek myth, the king of Thebes, whose name is Laius, um, hears a prophecy from an oracle that his son will kill him. Oracle. Oracle. <laughs> so when Oedipus is born, Laius ties his hands and feet together and leaves him on a mountainside to die. Like you do. I mean, when an oracle says mm-hmm. that your son's going to kill you, you kill the son first. Yeah. Seems but logical you just, enough. That sounds like some Hercules shit. Like, you like you got to see it through. People are just, like, <laughs> half-assing these murders, and yeah. then they come back to, to kill you. Which is exactly what happens here. Get it together. A shepherd rescues um, Oedipus and brings him to the king of another area who raises him and when oedipus grows up he decides to go on his own journey Mm -hmm. like his hero's quest yep he can go the distance (laughs) and he ends up meeting an old man at a crossroads and gets into an argument with said old man and ends up killing him along with his servants oedipus then just happens to go on to thebes where he meets a sphinx and the sphinx gives him a riddle and says what walks on four legs in the morning two at noon and three at night Oedipus gives the correct answer, Mm -hmm. which is a human. Mm -hmm. So um, when a human is young, they crawl, so four legs. When they're an adult, they walk on two. And then uh, as they get older, they have a cane and will walk on three legs. Riddles are really tough. Super duper tough. There was always a riddle from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Speaking of the throwback. uh It was like, what do you put in a barrel that makes it lighter? A hole? I, <laughs> uh-huh. I've never forgotten that in my whole life. Like, it's always stuck with me. And, I love and, that. And I didn't realize, because I've heard that one a billion times, I didn't realize that that's what the riddle was. Oh, it was from Oedipus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't, I mean... Talk about throwback, you're yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. So, the Sphinx gets angry and kills itself. Um, mm. So, Oedipus continues into Thebes. Everyone is so overjoyed that the Sphinx is gone that they make him king. Seems and offer like a flawed him, system, but okay. <laughs> and they offer him marriage to the queen. Plot twist, it's his mom. Mm-hmm. So the oracle comes back and puts a plague on the city until the person who uh, murdered the king, like Oedipus's dad, mm-hmm. comes forward. So Oedipus is, like, discreetly trying to figure out who it is, realizes it's him, mm-hmm. plucks his eyes out. Um, his mother hangs herself, but Oedipus continues to rule Thebes. And that's the story of Oedipus. What a what an upper. Yeah. Yikes. It also was, like, made into a two-part opera. Like, this is, mm-hmm. it has withheld the test of time. Withstood the test of time? Uh-huh. Withstood the test of time. Um. So, just kind of an interesting thing here. Uh-huh. How does it relate to psychology? Oh, man. Freud? Freud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Freudian theory is that, uh, quote, complex of human emotions is aroused in a child, typically around the age of four, by an unconscious sexual desire for the parent of the opposite sex and a wish to exclude the parent of the same sex. The term was coined in 1899 in his theory of the psychosexual stages of development. So, in 1899, Freud was like, yo, I think Sophocles may have been onto something. I figured it out, guys. (laughs) This is everyone, every male's problem, Uh, is that they want to kill their dad and marry their mom mm -hmm. when they're four years old. Because complex thought is a thing that happens at that point. And also, like, of course... Oh God! It's it's just even right away. It's like a, a, a you know a nuclear hetero family where both parents are present. Yeah, it's like of course. Yeah, so we'll get into that too. Okay. Um, I think it was 1909. He put out his official five psychosexual stages, mm. and I figured you might want to know them. Oh, I would love to. Hint: They're all sexual. Cool. Uh, stage one which is from birth to age one is the oral stage Mm -hmm. and it involves sucking and swallowing. So things going in a baby's mouth. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to refrain from any jokes on that one, but everybody Uh, else did it in the car for me. I'm sure. uh, (laughs) Stage two is from ages one to three and it's the anal stage. Okay. 
Yep. So this is about withholding or expelling feces. And children are realizing that they can control their world. Think potty training. Like, Uh are kids being difficult around potty training? Or are they, you know, being pretty compliant? Mm -hmm. The phallic stage is stage three. And it's for children from three to six years old. Okay. And it involves the penis or clitoris and masturbation. Mm. Um, His theory is that children are becoming aware of anatomical differences, which set into motion the conflict between erotic attraction resentment rivalry and jealousy so this is where he thinks the oedipus complex comes into play do we know did freud have any kids of his own i don't think so no see mm, what a problematic oh (laughs) situation yeah for sure i really i think i'm gonna do a whole episode on freud at some point because he's fascinating oh um and super outdated but still really prevalent in Uh you know, a lot of what we talk about. He's like Dr. Lipschitz from Rugrats. The the doctor that um, Tommy's mom is, like, obsessed with. Oh. Reads all of it, his books and everything. Is Are we just going to keep quoting children's, like, relating things to children's shows for the rest of us? <laughs> I love the that. Theme. I think it's that's now a, the theme. I mean, it is now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Freud and Dr. Lipschitz link up there. Mm-hmm. The next stage is the latency stage, and it's from six years old to puberty, and he believed that there was little or no sexual motivation present, that most most impulses are repressed during this stage, and sexual energy is geared towards schoolwork, hobbies, and friendships. Okay. So, all the hormones in your body are just like, pause. Mm-hmm. Push it down. We've got like six years to just make friends. Right. Yeah. And then we get puberty, or like age 12-ish, 13, to adulthood. And this is the genital stage, Mm. which involves the penis and or vagina Mm -hmm. or neither, Mm -hmm. but genitals Mm -hmm. um, and sexual intercourse. And it feels pretty obvious to me what he was leaning towards with this one. Sure. So Freud believed that life was built around tension and pleasure and that all tension was due to the buildup of libido and that all pleasure came from its discharge. It's a fun way of saying (sighs) orgasm. Oh, Okay. Or, you know, satisfaction mm-hmm. of your libido. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of course, Freud is one of the fathers of psychology, but he was a pervy and creepy white man, is literally what I wrote <laughs> in my notes next. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> the Oedipus Complex is one of Freud's most controversial ideas. It's basically bullshit. We now know about attachment styles, but this was Freud's thought. In young boys, conflict comes up because the boy develops sexual desires for his mother and wants to possess his mother exclusively and get rid of his father. I'm thinking like an extreme mama's boy type situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Quote, the boy thinks that if his father were to find out his desires for his mom, that his father would take away that which he loves most. During the phallic stage, what the boy loves most is his penis. Hence, the boy develops castration anxiety. Oh. I don't know that a four-year-old knows what castration is. No, he doesn't know what castration is. I should hope not, in fact. Uh uh Uh-huh. However, we're going to get to a Freud case study in just a second, which is kind of fun. Okay. How fun. I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) This is resolved when the boy begins to imitate dad-type behaviors, Uh quote-unquote, and join in on masculine things, basically Uh internally adopting the values, attitudes, and behaviors of the male role model. Mm -hmm. So here are some examples of what could be a sign of having an Oedipus complex and never working through your Oedipus complex. But a boy who acts possessive of his mother and tells his father not to touch her, a child who insists on sleeping between his parents... Um, Oedipus complexes can also be a term used for girls as well, even though girls also have their own complex that we're going to get to in just a second. Okay. But it could be a girl who declares that she wants to marry her father when she grows up, or a child who hopes that the parent of the opposite sex will go out of town so that they can take that parent's place. Okay. I think that we need to be talking more about attachment theory. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that's what this sounds like to me. Not yeah. any creepy sexual thing. No. But attachment. Yeah, but attachment. And also, like, I'm thinking, like, the bed example. 
I would think that a child who laid in between their parents would want not to separate, but to be close to both. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. But Freud did not see it that way. The thing that Freud believed troubled so many men was that they weren't able to get past the Oedipus stage and carried it into adulthood. Boys may become fixated on their mothers and girls on their fathers, causing them to choose romantic partners that resemble their opposite sex parents as adults. So in 1905, Freud proposed or presented the Little Hans study. So we've got Little Albert. Oh no, Albie, no. Now we have Little Hans. Little Hans. Oh God, is he going to be just... He also has a phobia. Okay. Little Hans is five years old and has a phobia of horses. Of horses? Yeah. Well, to be fair, horses you know, are scary. They're very like they're large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they could be scary. I yeah. can see it for a five year old. So the primary aim of Hans's therapy when he first went to Freud was to treat the phobia. But what Freud became more interested in um, was what may have led to the phobia in the first place. From around the age of three, little Hans was interested in his penis and those penises of other males, including animals. His mother threatened to cut off his penis unless he stopped playing with it. Fun okay. fact, they called it a waddler, not penis in this study. Um, okay. Whittler? Waddler? A waddler? Something like that. Um, so Hans's fear of horses gets worse after the age of three. And Freud linked his fear of horses to that um, of the horse having a large penis. I, I see. Yeah. I see. Eventually, the phobia improved. So after some therapy, Lil Hans got better. <laughs> um, but then reportedly only had a phobia relating to horses that had a black harness over its nose. And it was thought that it was because this symbolized a mustache. So, what the fuck? <laughs> so Freud's interpretation linked Hans's fear to the Oedipus complex because the horse with a black harness had a big penis um, and all of this put together represented his fear of his father. Who gave this man a platform to speak? <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? Freud suggested that Hans re- resolve this conflict Um, as he fantasized himself with a big penis and married to his mother. This allowed Hans to overcome his castration anxiety and identify with his father. I feel like we're looking at an inkblot and he's just like (laughs) making shit up. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly what is happening here. Oh my goodness. It's all about penises for Freud. I know. Literally all about penises. I... But how interesting that poor little Hans was subjected to the, well, imagine you yourself have a dong as big as the horses. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so, okay. So horses are scary. That's very reasonable. Also, like, I wonder in what capacity he has access to these horses. Because if you're a city guy, if you're a city baby, you grow up in New York City you don't see horses very much and then all of a sudden you're learning to walk and one you know almost like stampedes you sure. like lion king situation that's very reasonable yeah to have a fear yeah um yeah he's definitely reading too much into it i think so too and also i wonder who is just like recognizing that he's only afraid of those with black harnesses was this a controlled like was this like a case study? It, it's a case study. It's yeah. a case study. So it's like legitimately they're they're trying to. It's a. Well, I'm sorry. Let me clarify. It's a case study in 1905 done by Sigmund Freud. Right. Got it. Yeah. Cool. So the answer is unclear at this time. Uh huh. I'm I'm wondering like this poor kid's like sitting in a room and then they're just like marching all these different horses. Yeah. And through. of course, he's terrified of all of them, but the ones with the black harnesses, you mm-hmm. know, especially scary because dad has a black mustache. Because a mustache. A mustache. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Okay. Continue. I'm also, so Freud was like, imagine having a big penis. And 
I hate that he didn't also say, imagine having a mustache, because then I'm reminded of the Adams family, the baby with the mustache. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Link up there, baby with the mustache. Yeah. That's now all, that's the only way I'm going to picture little Hans from now on <laughs> is the Adams family baby with the mustache. In the striped pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the Electra Complex. Um, the Electra Complex was named after another Greek myth. Electra is the daughter of Agamemnon, um, who saved the life of her younger brother, Aristes, by sending him away when their father was murdered. When he returns, she convinces him to avenge their their father's murder by helping her kill their mother and their mother's lover. Um, Electra was identified by Carl Jung, who's a collaborator of Sigmund Freud's, mm-hmm. um, as being like the female counterpart to the Oedipus complex. He was like, did that work really well for you? Freud, did you make a lot of money with that one? Yeah. Let me yeah. just... That went over well. Let's copy talk... Copy-paste. Electra complex, which... Mm-hmm. Electrolyte complex. <laughs> So this is a psychoanalytic term used to describe a girl's sense of um, competition with her mother for the affections of her father. Our dude Freud um, is hella problematic, but he thought that during the female psychosexual development, that a young girl is initially attached to her mother. And then when she discovers that she does not have a penis, again, back to the penises, <laughs> she becomes attached to her father and begins to resent her mother, who blame who she blames for her quote unquote castration. The term penis envy was thrown around in my research, and it was thought that the girl may have wished to be a boy at this point in her life. So the Electra complex is like the Oedipus complex, except that she also has penis envy. I'm just I glad that sink in. Fucking can't. <laughs> <laughs> like. I so much of what like first of all the language is so much more gendered than I'm like comfortable oh 5,000 like digesting yeah. you know because like I want to fight every single little bit uh of what of what you're saying yep this uh, is also like the early 1900s oh I know I know I know um but, but like also just to like like, if he didn't have any children, like, presumably, we would be, he would be, like, framing this off of his own experiences, essentially. Right. Um, and it is very rare. I mean, he's not going to remember before a certain point. So, is he just, like, observing other people's kids? And if he is, that's just, like, equally as creepy. I just don't like him. I've got some bad news for you. Does he have kids? So um, I had to do a quick research, a quick little Google. So the family of Sigmund Freud lived in Austria and Germany until the 1930s and then immigrated to England, Canada, and the United States. Oh, my God. Are they the Von Trapp family? (laughs) No. Um, But he was born in 1956 to Jewish uh, Galassian. Wait, in 1956? 1856. In 1856. Yep. Um, Unless he's a vampire. Right. In the Moravian town of Freiburg in the Austrian Empire. Um, He was the oldest child. Hashtag firstborn status. Um, Let's see. Okay, so I think Sigmund Freud may have had six children. Six children? Yep. Anna, Ernest, Sophie, Oliver... Matilde and Martin. So three boys and three girls. Matilde, not Matilda, Matilde. M-A-T-H-I-L-D-E, which I think... Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, Matilde is the eldest daughter, was born in 1887. Oh, my goodness. Oh, she lived until 1978. Wow. Oh, good. Go Matilde. Yep. So six, so six children. So I'm sure he's, he's creating all of this around what he's seeing. Right. And all his kids are like, fuck you, dad. Like, you know, you suck. Cause he probably did. Oh, for sure. He sucked. You know, then he's feeling insecure. And so that's why he's uh, creating all these uh, hypotheses. And I'm going to go ahead and say that's fact. So yeah, Freud has six kids. Is that where we were? Yeah, I just insinuated that he made it all up because 
his kids hated him. Probably. I also think that it's interesting that he lacks so much self-awareness that he doesn't realize that he's the one fixated on penises, not everyone around him. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. How do you resolve the Electra complex? It's a little different than the Oedipus complex. I'm sure it is. You're going to hate it. Okay. Nah, okay. This is resolved by repressing her desire for her father and substituting the wish for a penis with a wish for a baby. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Just swap them out. No big deal. Yeah. If you can't have a penis, you might as well have a baby. So that womb does not wander. Right. By repressing her feelings, she identifies with her mother and is able to take on the female gender roles. Oh, good. Freud then believes that the girls begin to identify and emulate their mother um, out of fear for losing her love. Okay, so she, okay, so she's like, I need to be, I need to have a baby so that you still love me, right? And, and so that can, I can be just like you. I can be just like you because you had a baby, and or six. we're also castrated sure. by your mother. By your mother, yeah. What a healthy series of events. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Again, what we know about attachment theory basically debunks all of this, but that's an episode for another day. I had no idea that the Oedipus complex, like I've, we've heard about the, the Oedipus complex forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, basic gist of it. I knew Yeah, the little Hans thing no. and the fixation on penises and the electric. Com- I'm sorry. Like just cannot believe that this was so accepted for so long. Yeah. Like, this was a thing that people talked about in the early 1900s. Was, was, I wonder what people's, like, thought of Freud was, because I think in some ways people just a hundred years ago could recognize that some of these thoughts are coming out of, like, left field. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if people were like, okay, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's Freud. Like, we'll take what he says with a grain of salt. Yeah. Some of the things he says are interesting, but I wonder how many people were cautious about his, you know, thought process and those who like followed him wholeheartedly. I mean, people pretty much bought everything that Freud said, hook, line, and sinker. Really? Like, he's the father, he's one of the fathers of psychology for that reason. Uh, okay. Like, people just kind of trusted him, and I just find that to be fascinating. Well, and how does that create relationship, like, family dynamics and relationships, and how does that... It makes know, them awkward. ...contribute to parenting, well, we're also hypersexualizing babies. Right. Like four year olds are hypersexualized oh, in these Christ. theories. Three year olds, even. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine that it really complicates family dynamics when, you know, uh, your psychiatrist or psychologist tells you, oh, well, this is because he has penis or she has penis envy. Mm hmm. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she's got some trauma that she's working through with one or both of her parents. Oh, yeah. there could, There's, like, so many other options <laughs> other than penis envy. It's yeah. not even funny. <laughs> no, exactly. And then I wonder, like, what he would have thought about um, in modern time with people who um, are non-binary or trans and like actually transitioning, I'm curious. It would have it would have sucked. Oh my god, his tiny little brain would have been just. Blown. He would have blamed literally everything on the mother or father. Right, parenting is hard because you're going to get blamed for everything anyway. Yeah. Um, let's take this one off the parents. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, let's well, give him a break. Let's let's just take the whole Oedipus and Electra complex and just throw them out the window. Hmm. And also, learn. what a sad story. Yeah. Greek mythology is fascinating because mm-hmm. they're like, all right, we're going to throw a hundred names at you. They all sound really similar. They're all from different places and they come together. Somebody dies. Somebody usurps somebody else. Yep. Um, and then there's an oracle. And Zeus gets pissed. 
And Zeus, he's just always so pissed. Yeah, yeah. Zeus, um, Poseidon. Not enough, not enough girlfriends, <laughs> I guess is what it was. Yeah, Hades. Um, so it was a two-part opera, you said? Yeah, the, Oedip- the uh, Oedipus Rex was a two-part opera that was, um, I think, done in like the 1920s. Oh, Someone wow. wrote a two-part opera. I would have enjoyed, I would have enjoyed the opera. You know, I'm sure we could still find it. It's probably still floating around out there somewhere. Oh. Like, people love the Oedipus story. Yeah. I just don't think we need to bring it into psychology. I mean, you can't separate Oedipus from psychology. It's just not possible at this point. But I don't think that we need to assign it to children today. Oh, well, we can just obviously. look at it from a psychological perspective of what may have been going on here. This is a very dated concept. I think we can all agree that it's yeah. complete horseshit. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I wonder what other psychology hypotheses or like... Um, diagnoses come from not only greek mythology but also history and things that have happened and they're like oh i think i think that's universal Mm -hmm. i think that happens to every child yep and here's how yep you know yep men are so fucking confident (laughs) it's not even funny the audacity of their confidence though ah great all right well, this was actually a really fun topic, and I mean, even though we hated so much of it, it oh, was no, still I loved so it, much though. fun. Yeah, oh, I loved it. I and loved it. Bailey, thank you, thank you, because I'm not sure I would have actually dug into this one as much. Also, um, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, we're all going to have the same opinion on it. Yeah, but it's still real. I mean, it was still like really fun to like break right. it apart and stomp all over it. <laughs> Thank you, Bailey. We'll take a quick break and we'll come right back with some history. Cool. And we're back. All right. So today for our history topic, I'm going to be talking about the bubonic plague, which is absolutely fascinating um, and a little kind of on the nose mm-hmm. for our current uh, situation here with COVID-19. Yeah, I was about to say, is now a good time to be talking about the plague? It's not a good time to be talking about anything. Let's it is, get into it. You know, we're going to go over some things um, that they, well, you'll, yes, it's a good time. I can't wait. But there is like, I do want to do like a general kind of trigger warning where if it is too on the nose for you, feel free to, you know, skip to intersections or to, to next episode. And that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, I did, I read a really fantastic article from history.com called the black death causes symptoms and impact. And I did a lot of my research from there. The bubonic plague also known as the black death was a disastrous global epidemic that hit Europe and Asia in the mid-14th century. The plague literally arrived in Europe in October of 1347. Twelve ships that were sailing from the Black Sea arrived at the Sicilian port of Messina only to be sent away. You see, when the ships arrived, the majority of the passengers on the boat were dead. The others were covered in oozing black boils. Ooh. Yes. And although the ships were turned away, the damage had already been done. Over the next five years, the bubonic plague would kill over 20 million people in Europe, which was about a third of the population. The plague had hit uh, China, India, Persia, Syria, and Egypt earlier, Um, in the early 1340s, and those in Europe had heard rumors of the, quote, great pestilence that had wiped out entire families and communities. So people were hearing chatterings Uh about it before it actually arrived, which I can only imagine, like... How scary. How fearful you you could be, or assuming maybe that it would never get to you, but, like, you definitely had to have been thinking about it. Yeah, well, and they don't have an understanding for health and medicine the way that we do now and of how course. diseases spread. Absolutely. So, like, it's just a thing that invisibly comes and, like, wipes out communities. Mm-hmm. That's so scary. Yeah. 
So now we know that it's, it's thought that the origins of the bubonic plague were in Asia over 2,000 years ago. Most likely, the spread of the disease happened just as it had hit Europe through trade and travel. Because mm-hmm. you think about it, I mean, it was really hard for people to get from one place to another back then. Yeah. And yet, here we are. Um, it is important to note, however, in recent discoveries... It indicates that the pathogen that was responsible for the plague may have existed in Europe as early as 3000 BC. The symptoms of the plague are as follows. And this is a quote from the Italian poet Giovanni Boccaccio. Excellent job. (laughs) Thanks. There was a quote, certain swelling either on the groin or under the armpits waxed to the bigness of a common apple others to the size of an egg, some more or less, and these the vulgar named plague boils. Quote. Yikes. 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 So I'm going to go ahead and do another trigger warning surrounding the boil discussion. <laughs> oh, this is going to be gross. Fast forward like one minute if this is not your jam. So I think we all kind of know the boil symptom, right? Pus and blood would weep from these boils and sores. And after the boils, um, you kind of knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. Fever came next, then the chills. You would then experience vomiting and diarrhea. The bubonic plague affected the lymphatic system. So this would cause swelling in the lymph nodes. And this caused the virus to affect many parts of the internal organs. Uh, the blood, the lungs. Mm -hmm. Quote, the lymphatic system is a network of tissues, vessels, and organs that work together to move a colorless, watery fluid named lymph back into your circulatory system or your bloodstream. Some 20 liters of plasma flow through your body's arteries and smaller blood vessels and capillaries every day. So once it's in, if it's in your lymphatic system, it's everywhere. Yeah. So how does the plague spread? We know how the plague is spread now, uh, but back then they had no idea. It is spread by a bacteria called Yersinia pestis. A French biologist, Alexander Yersin, discovered this bacteria at the end of the 1800s, which was too late, but it is good to know now. Yeah. Uh, The bacterium can travel both in the air and also can be transferred from insects, fleas, and rats, all by biting. And this is Europe, or anywhere in the 1300s, and so rats are freaking everywhere. Yeah. Like, it is disgusting. They're in the streets. They're in your bed. They're in your food. Uh, Because, like, think about it. There wasn't refrigeration. I mean, they were in our Airbnb, Oh in my god, 2018. don't even get me started on that. Jesus. So it's not just them. Um I am having a flashback and I am not happy about it. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> and they were also around these cargo ships because think about it, they're they're in the water. Yeah. They also have they're warm and safe. Uh-huh. Um and there's food. And there's food. Yes. So that's like what contributed to, you know, travel. Um, and, and also the spread there. Quote, not long after it struck Messina, the Black Death spread to the port of Marseille in France and the port of Tunis in North Africa. <gasps> then it reached Rome and Florence, two cities at the center of an elaborate web of trade routes. By the middle of 1348, the Black Death had struck Paris, Bordeaux, Lyon, and London. End quote. And of course, like we had just discussed, we're looking through all of these events with a modern lens. So we understand more now, obviously, than they did. Um, But there must have been a a feeling of terror. Um, Family members were going to sleep fine and then never waking up. Mm -hmm. So there's a a variance of um, the time that it took this to, to, for someone to die. Yeah. Um. And there was a general misunderstanding about how the Black, de- Black Death was spread. Quote, according to one doctor, for example, quote, instantaneous death occurs when the aerial spirit escapes from the eyes of the sick man 
strikes the healthy person standing near and looking at the sick, end, end quote. I assume that if you have no understanding of bacteria or viruses mm-hmm. or whatever else, that that's probably what it looked like yeah. was, you know, if a person dies, then that now goes into your body when sure. really it's about, I mean, they didn't know shit about wearing PPE. No, they didn't know shit about shit. <laughs> Uh, well, kind of. We'll get. We're gonna well, like cross. I mean, they had the second. masks, like yeah. the big. Uh huh. Exactly. And doctors were doing their very best to treat patients. The, uh, this is a, like a boil trigger warning again. They tried lancing the boils, which was big, which was also just not sanitary. Yeah, you're Real creating gross. open sores in people, and then like more bacteria, you're really causing a lot more harm. Also, once they have the boils, they are infected, and there's little that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, oh, I don't even know if I want to say this, but sometimes they would allow animals to eat the pus from the boils. <laughs> I was not prepared. Yeah, I'm gonna nervous laugh about it. Um, <laughs> they also tried bloodletting. Because why not? Uh, Um, But the idea of bloodletting is, you know, where they're trying to get rid of the sick or bad blood. So they just cut your cut your shit and then you just bleed a little bit and Mm -hmm. then they mend you right back up. Yep. Plague doctors wore large bird like masks um, and the long beak was designed to keep away bad smells. You could stick stuff in the beaks. Um, and the bad smells were also thought to cause the disease as well. So, like, smells and, and, and like, it being in the air, like, that, you know, they kind of had it right a little bit. Yeah, it kind of feels like COVID in that way. Like, we didn't really know how COVID was spread. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we have so many resources to better understand it oh, and yeah. more quickly understand yeah. it. Yes, But, absolutely. like, having it through the air, they were on the right track. Yes. They were not quite there, but they were close. No cigar, though. No. No cigar. Um, they also tried some less gross techniques, like burning herbs, bathing in vinegar, or sometimes even rosemary water. Or mm-hmm. rose water. Sorry. Quote, Meanwhile, in a panic, healthy people did all they could to avoid the sick. Doctors refused to see patients. Priests refused to administer last rites. And bookkeepers closed their stores. Many people fled the cities for the countryside, but even there they could not escape the disease. It affected cows, sheep, goats, pigs, and chickens, as well as people. In fact, so many sheep died that one of the consequences of the Black Death was a European wool shortage. I had no idea. And many people, desperate to save themselves, even abandoned their sick and dying loved ones. End quote. So death was everywhere. Corpses were too many to count. Uh, people who died from the Black Death were often uh, often buried as normal. So if you're, it would be just like any family member passed, you might have like a family plot, um, etc. However, there were mass graves. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can kind of be attributed to some something breaking down. So either there were too many bodies and not enough uh, hands to bury them. Uh, That's like normally the biggest one. Well, it was probably also they didn't know how the plague was being spread. Mm -hmm. There was a fear of like putting bot like touching the bodies. Mm -hmm. It'd be easier to just dispose of them all at once rather than like letting them hang around. Sure. Absolutely. And people also started burning and cremating the bodies as well. Yeah. It is thought that Ring Around the Rosie, the children's uh, nursery school rhyme, is written, is, written, is written about the plague. So, a ring around a rosy, this is the original version. A ring around a rosy, a pocket full of posy, a chew, a chew, we all fell down. Huh. Instead of ashes to ashes, which I thought that was interesting. Um, the roses are a euphemism for... Uh, the deadly rashes and right, the boils the rose that colored. people would get. Mm-hmm. The posies was a preventative measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the sneezing pertained to the symptoms of somebody who was symptomatic. Well, and then falling down was dying. Yeah. Yep. Well, and posies, I think, were also like flowers and they smelled good. Yeah. So the there smell. was like a... You know, everyone was keeping them in their pockets mm-hmm. because like, it's still like shit. Because you live in 1300 and everyone is dead. Yeah, 
literally everyone is dying. And because there was zero knowledge or understanding about the disease and there was no pattern or rhyme to its destruction, many believed that they were being punished by God. And this caused a huge surge in Christianity and also hate crimes against other faiths. Some chose to, res- to reflect within themselves religiously and others chose to lash out to others. Quote, some upper class men joined a processions of flagellants not flatulence, right? Flagellants that traveled from town to town and engaged in public displays of penance and punishment. They would beat themselves and one another with heavy leather straps studded with sharp pieces of metal while the townspeople looked. For 33 and a half days, the flagellants repeated this ritual three times a day. Yikes. I know. What's the point? Well, they're trying to to save humanity. Oh. Um, When they move, uh, and then they would move on to the next town and begin the process over again. Though the flagellant movement did provide some comfort to people who felt powerless in the face of inexplicable tragedy, it soon began to worry the Pope, (laughs) 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 whose authority the flagellants had begun to usurp. In the face of this papal residence, the movement disintegrated end quote yeah everybody i mean in in area in areas of tragedy people are just trying to find meaning and however they can and blame other people control yeah yeah. they're just looking for understanding and answers yeah yeah communities were able to slow the spread of the disease by keeping sailors on their ships until it was proven that they were not experiencing any symptoms well that sounds similar Mm mm-hmm So, originally, they were holding them for 30 days, which is called a Trentino. And then they increased it to 40 days or a quarantine. And that (gasps) is the origin of that word. What? Yeah. So, 40 days. I, that was a fun plot twist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, the Black Death epidemic had run its course by the early 1350s, but it does reappear occasionally. And Mm -hmm. it actually reappeared a few generations after it originally did. Um, Of course, modern, you know, PPE, like you were saying, sanitation, our knowledge has really helped us um, understand it better and has slowed the spread. Mm -hmm. And it's now actually treatable by antibiotics. The bubonic plague is? Yes. The bubonic plague. <laughs> the bubonic plague is still around enough for us to have antibiotics for it? It is. There are about one to 3,000 cases of the plague every year. Holy cow. Yeah. Also, antibiotics? Like, that's it? It's all it takes. You just lick a Petri dish? Like, they didn't even have those <laughs> for them back then? But one to 3,000 cases of the plague. Can you imagine how freaked out you would be to be diagnosed with the bubonic plague bacteria? What did you say? I was just saying, can you imagine how it would feel to be diagnosed with the plague? Oh, it would be terrifying. Like Absolutely terrifying. Also, it feels um, a little bit like being diagnosed with cholera or something that we now have ways to treat that we didn't. Mm-hmm. you know decades before absolutely like yeah i'm vaccinated against cholera which is kind of fun because you know vaccines are fun carrie and thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> well because like it's not a thing that people think about mm-hmm. um we we don't think about these diseases that still exist in the yeah. world yeah Wow. One to 3,000 people. Yeah. So how do you think that these two topics intersect? Well, the one that hit, the thing that hits me in the face is that we have two theory or two things that our understanding of has developed over time. So oh, like yeah. with the bubonic plague and, you know, illness in general, mm-hmm. like we had all these theories about how they developed and what may actually be going on. And now we have science to back up what we know to have happened. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for the Oedipus complex and like children's development. Like Freud had a theory. It was wrong. It was soup dupes <laughs> wrong. Um, but we now have science and psychology and research 
and other theories that are that better explain development. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know if we look at the intersections here, it's about you know adjusting the ways that we understand things over time. Um, science research science is great. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what jumps out at me. Does anything else stand out to you? Just how wrong we could be. (laughs) (laughs) How wrong somebody could be. And how little we knew. And how very little. And and just about how um, it's natural to try to figure out why things are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Freud's motivation is still obviously very questionable. uh, Whether it was just like for financial gain or because he genuinely believed... Yes. And, and, uh, you know, earlier in earlier episodes, you say that he eventually diagnosed himself with hysteria. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think he was just, he needed a little something, something else that wasn't being provided to him at the moment. But, um, you know, in, in the plague scenario, Mm -hmm. people are doing their very best to try to rationalize why on earth this is happening. Yeah. Because it's literally the end of the world. That's well, how it must have felt. And I love that they stumbled onto some things that were correct, like wearing masks. Mm-hmm. We still wear masks today, even though they're different. Right. Like we don't wear the big crow mask. Um, and those were just the plague doctors. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the plague doctors wore the masks. Not everybody else did. Gotcha. So, but still kind of a yeah. precursor to what we see now, yeah, maybe. Absolutely. Um, so good logic and reasoning skills there. Well, and, and, you know, uh, quarantining the sailors before they're coming on to your, you know, to your land, to where all all of your citizens are. Um, but also something that I didn't include in my notes, but, um, we had like chatted about briefly before we started recording, um, was that, you know, People who were burning a lot of um, herbs or, you know, fires, Mm -hmm. people who were isolating themselves, people who were um, perhaps spiritually, like, I know you said witches. Yeah, witches who had cats were doing better (laughs) because the cats scared away the rats. Uh Uh-huh. They ate the rats and they were also burning some shit. So that kept the fleas away. Um, But yeah, people people who were isolating themselves, socially distancing themselves. um, Fared better. A lot better. A yeah. lot better. Yeah. And it wasn't about, um, you know, whether you got better from the plague. It was about whether you caught it in the first place. Because, yeah. unfortunately, those who did died. Right. There was right. just no no hope as far as, as their medical technology at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we today have the knowledge to... Um, ensure that we are keeping ourselves and our neighbors and our peers safe exactly yep we have both of our um topics this week started with people responding to things they observed Mm -hmm. and ended with things that we know to be true now Mm -hmm. um and i think that we're you know we did some of that with COVID. Like we started out with responding to what we could observe, which was people were getting sick. So we need to like wear masks and gloves. And like, we didn't know how it was being transmitted. So we were all being as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. And then uh, now we have a vaccine for it. Yeah. So cool stuff. We're just getting better at this Mm -hmm. of responding to what we observe to finding the actual answer. Mm-hmm. It's a much shorter period of time now than it was from right. 1300s to, you know, whenever they identified exactly what the bubonic plague was. Mm-hmm. The eight, late 1800s, I think is what yeah. I said. Cool. Um, very good. Yeah. Thank you. Bailey, Bailey yeah. for our Patreon pick this week. So I really like, I know it's like super, also, let Fucked us know up, how that pasta is. Send oh, yeah. pictures. Oh, yeah. Well, do an unboxing or do a taste test. Yeah. We would love that. We yep. would love that. Um, if you want to pick a topic for us, head over to patreon.com. Search for us. We are under podcast without an audience. You will get access to our merch before anybody else, by the way. So. And that pasta recipe. And the pasta recipe. And the close friends list. And our unconditional love. 
Always and forever. And to the key to the Island of Misfit Toys. The limit does not exist. (laughs) Thank you guys again so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.